This is the Oasis Church Podcast. We're located in Athens, Ohio, and we use this podcast feed to primarily post the messages from our Sunday morning church gatherings. If you enjoy this message or if you'd like to know more about Oasis Church, please reach out to us at oasisathens at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you, and we hope that you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. My prayer for today's message as we uh, open up the scripture is that it would be like a breath of fresh air for your soul. Um, During a time where life is, quite frankly, not very enjoyable, Uh, My hope is that you will be encouraged and actually stimulated today to enjoy your life, to enjoy the life that God has given you. And um, that's going to be my goal. My goal is through through the scriptures, and we're going to look at several scriptures. We're going to be in a lot of scriptures in the Old Testament. We'll be in some in the New Testament as well. And this will actually be the last time that I do this kind of topical study. I, I, I do This is my second week in a row doing like a topical message, and I can't hardly stand it. I want to get back into a book. And so I've determined that starting next week, we're going to go through the book of Luke. And uh, I'm excited to study the book of Luke. I've never preached the book of Luke before. And uh, as we get rolling into the Christmas season, I think it's going to be a, 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 a welcome study. And, and I've been sort of there in my, in my own personal um, reading. But my goal today in this message is to, through God's word, provide for us a theology of pleasure, all right? A theology for pleasure. So let me ask you a question. Is pleasure bad? Is seeking pleasure wrong? Is it more Christ-like? For, like, do some, I think some, there's a notion that maybe it's more Christ-like for, for Christians to take on this attitude that we ought not to seek personal pleasure, right? And what I mean by that is things that make us happy, things that, things that you enjoy, right? Is, is, is it okay for Christians to laugh a lot and enjoy life, right? These are interesting questions to ponder, and it's something that I think that we should be intentional about considering. And so today, I would like for us to consider to develop a theology for pleasure. What I mean by theology is just simply this. What does God think about pleasure? Whenever we talk about theology, it's not that big, it's not that, it's really not that big of a uh, a thing to be intimidated by. You all do theology. Whenever you read the Bible, what you're doing is you're determining what you believe about what you're reading, and as you develop a belief system about who God is through his word, you're developing your theology of God. And so what we need to do as we develop our theology is always make sure that we're comparing what we believe with what God's word says, because some people have a theology that's based on their experience And their experience doesn't always match what God's word actually says is the truth of of who he is. And so I don't want to just talk about pleasure. I want to talk about what God's word says. What does God say about pleasure? And and what 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 does he think about just enjoying our lives? And can we have enjoyment of our lives in all circumstances? I believe that we can. So you may not have ever considered a theology of pleasure before. And how it might fit in theology, and that is my hope today is that we will we'll have that. And so let's let's actually begin uh, just really quickly with prayer, and uh, and that way we we'll just jump right in. God help us right now as we as we seek to figure out, to think about, to ponder, to consider 
what it might look like for us to just enjoy the life that you've given to us. How do you want us to live every single day? And what does it mean to be happy in this life that we call Christianity every single day as we live it? Show us that. I pray that you'll show us that not just in my words, but, but today in your words. Speak through me. Um, remove any words that I might be tempted to speak that are not true. And I pray that you would just utilize just this imperfect vessel up here to, to bring your word to the people that want to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the premise for this entire study is God's people should enjoy their lives. All right? That's the premise. You should enjoy your life. Ecclesiastes 9, and, and I'm going to whip off a bunch of scripture, okay? And so we'll, we'll, take, a, we'll take some time in a couple of them. Uh, but if you, if you want to write them down, you can. And of course, you can always go back and listen again. Uh, we always keep these messages on, on the internet. But Ecclesiastes 9, you know, Solomon just says, hey, enjoy the life that you have. Enjoy life with the wife that you, with whom you love. So he's talking about um, someone who might be married. He's like, look, I want you to enjoy the life that you have with this person. The psalmist writes in Psalm 68, 3, the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. God's people are to be marked. What I mean by that is there ought to be a characteristic. There ought to be some evidence as people look at us as God's people that we are happy and joyful. That, that, that's, that is the mark of a Christian according to, the, according to the scriptures. And the reason for this is because our God is a happy and joyful God. And I think that some people don't always see him in that way. I think sometimes we look at him and we have a perspective of him that isn't always true according to what the scriptures say. And the reason I can say confidently that God is a happy and joyful God is because I know through his word that everything that he created was created for his pleasure. He creates for his pleasure. So I'm going to kind of build off of what I talked about last week. We did some pretty deep theology last week when I talked about the, 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 the purpose for suffering. And I began, I began that message by talking about what is God's purpose in everything. And, the, and I, I suggested that his purpose in everything is to glorify himself. That he would have, he would do everything for his good pleasure. And the reason why that's good and not prideful like it would be for us is because the most loving thing that God could ever do for us is to glorify himself. Is, that, is, to, is to say and demand that he be glorified. Because when he's glorified, that's the only way that we see him and can know him and put faith in him and worship him and be with him for eternity. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You ever sing that, a song that says that? The joy of the Lord is our strength. In fact, we sang it, I think, last week at the end of our service. Joy is something that is from the Lord, and it's tended to do what? To make us strong. So what I, what I, what I kind of infer from that is that people who, are, who enjoy God are stronger in their faith. I, I tend to think that people who enjoy the life that God has given them have the opportunity to be stronger in their faith. What that means is they're able to resist temptation, overcome things like doubt and discouragement and all the things that might hit you, and able to resist all the opposition that might come in, you know, in, it, into your face in the, as you walk through this life in Christ. And the reason why is because joy makes you strong. Joy makes you strong. And the, and the converse of that, the, the opposite of that is people who do not have joy tend to be 
a little weaker in their faith. What that means is they, they become susceptible to sin. They become susceptible to, to discouragement. Whenever troubling things come into their lives, discouragement can have a tendency to consume them whenever things don't go as expected. And so one of the keys to living a life in God that is filled with strength and hope is to begin with joy in him and joy from him. Joy in him and joy that comes from him. And that's a key thing to consider. Psalm 1611. I, you know, let's go ahead and just turn a couple of these. I, I, instead of just me rattling them off, I think it'd be good for you to look at it in your own, in your own Bible. And I got I to start breaking some of the pages in this thing. It just came on Wednesday. so 16 verse 11. Psalm 16. Psalm 1611 says this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David says that pleasures, pleasure comes from the right hand of God. And I think it's important for us to understand this because whenever I, you know, I, I open and I say, hey, is, is it okay? Is pleasure okay? You know, you know, is it okay for us to seek pleasure? And the reality is, you know, pleasure is from God. It's not from Satan. Satan can't create anything. Satan has never been able to create anything. All Satan is able to do is take the things that God creates and pervert them. And so, for example, God creates food. But what happens is Satan perverts it to the point of gluttony. God creates sex. God gives us sex for enjoyment. Satan perverts it to the point of pornography and immorality and all sorts of perverted things. God creates things like humor. And then Satan perverts it to the point of things like base humor and things that we, that we probably shouldn't be laughing at and enjoying. And that's what happens. Satan can't create anything. Everything is created for, for our good pleasure. But all he does is he takes what is good and he bends it until, something, it's, until it becomes something that's no longer good. And he robs these good pleasures of their dignity. Because he separates it from the truth and he separates it from the life that God has given us, which means that if pleasure comes from God, it cannot then in its purest form, if it comes from God, anything that comes from God in its purest form cannot be bad. The difference is don't allow Satan to take it and twist it. You know, last week I mentioned a book by John Piper, one of my favorite authors, called Desiring God. Uh, meditations of a Christian hedonist, right? And, and what that simply means is, you know, what he's talking about there, being a, a Christian hedonist, is seeking pleasure. You know, seeking, seeking what it is that might cause you to be most joyful in your life in Christ. And that's what the book is about. And I made the point from, from, from his study that we exist for God to get glory. And the way that we do that, the way that, we, the way that we give more glory to God is by enjoying God. God receives glory as we enjoy Him. See, we need God. We're created to be dependent upon God. And God is most glorified in us when we enjoy Him. So when we are the happiest, you know, we, we, are, we are the happiest when God is glorified. And He is most glorified when we are most joyful. I mean, that, that, and it reciprocates. That's the way it works. So think about how this works then in, like in something like, for example, prayer. Let's go, to, let's go to something very specific. I want to show you something. Turn to, to John 14. Let's go over in the, in the New Testament. 
I want to show you how this works. We're going to break this sort of, sort of break this down um, through how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. In John 14, we'll, be, we'll just read verse 13. This is not my favorite way to teach, by the way, like going, you know, hitting one verse at a time. But because I, I think you have, if, if all you ever hear is messages where someone's like giving you one verse at a time, it's real tempting for preachers to build a sermon around an idea that they have and use the scripture to kind of make their point. It's one of the reasons why we like preaching through entire books and sections of scripture because then the, the scripture just makes the point for us. And, and so that's, I, think it's, I think it's more solid. But so, so when I'm, I say that because I, I want to always tell you to test me, all right, to test this. When you hear something from me, don't just believe it. I want you to go home and I want you to restudy the scriptures and I want you to look and see that, hey, is this really true, all right? Because I'm, I, I'm not here to like persuade you to believe something like I believe. I just want you to see this, the truth. So here's what Jesus says in John 14, 13. He says, whatever you ask for, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, I think this is an incredible statement. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, what? He'll do it. He'll do it. This I will do. Well, why? Think about that. Why? Why? Is he going to do whatever we ask for? Here's why. Because the work of the Son then brings glory to the Father. That's the reason why. That's what he says. And then the entire 14th chapter of John then goes on. I mean, it's just it's, the whole 14th chapter of John is a really magnificent chapter. Because Jesus is talking about how it's going to be better. He's telling his disciples, life on this earth is going to be better after he leaves. Imagine that. Imagine the notion of Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, that they're just starting to figure out who he is. Like they've seen him do incredible things, miracles, they've heard him teach, he's phenomenal, and they're starting to kind of figure it out. And then he goes and he dies, and they think, well, we just thought we were figuring it out, and, and maybe we were wrong. I don't know. And then he raises again, and it's like, whoa, this is incredible. This is God. Jesus actually tells them it's going to be better for you. After I leave. And like, how is that even possible? Well, here's how it's possible. Here's why Jesus would say that. Because he said he was going to send his spirit. He was going to send the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus with his disciples could only be in one place at one time. He could only speak to one crowd in one location. Because why? Because he had skin and bones and muscles. He had a body. That's, and he couldn't, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't go. He couldn't put his spirit in you and send you to that group of people. And he couldn't put his spirit in you and send you to those people. And he couldn't send you to your family over here and you into Northwest Ohio and you into Southeastern Ohio and you into West Virginia and you into... He can do that now because his spirit has come. And that's why it would be better. He has multiplied himself. He has multiplied his work. He's multiplied his word. He has multiplied what he's able to do. How? Through every single Christian. That's why you're called a Christian if, you're a, if you have faith in Christ because it means little Christ. He has put himself in you to do that work. And so he's explaining this to his disciples. And he's saying, hey, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And he's saying it's going to be better because the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And so after three and a half years of teaching, if you think about it, Jesus didn't have much to show for what he had done. I mean, he never wrote anything down. We don't have any writings from Jesus, do we? He never really, I mean, he had these handful of disciples that 
you know, really only a handful of them stuck around when things got tough, about 11 of them. I mean, he had a lot of people that would follow. A lot of people would gather. Like, he had crowds of, you know, hundreds of people that would listen to him. But then as things got tough, it really kind of came down to these 11, right? And, and so what might cause his work to carry on for centuries? It's this, it's this Holy Spirit. So Christianity is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. And that's why our prayers matter today. That's why your prayer matters, because you are connected with the God of the universe, because he has put his spirit in you. And when Jesus tells us to pray, notice the nature of our prayer. The nature, what's he say? The nature of it, whatever you ask in my name. So there's this, there, our asking then is representing Christ. So like we're speaking, what we, we're saying that this thing I'm asking for, Lord, God, as I pray, this is an agreement with Christ. I'm praying this in his name. So Jesus says, when you ask something, ask it in my name, right? Meaning that it's going to be something that I am, I am in agreement with. So ask it in my name. He's, you know, Jesus is for this. God, as I'm bringing this to you, I know he's for this. This is in his name. So that's the nature of the prayer. Then notice the latitude of it. What's he said? What's the latitude of it? What do you ask for what? Anything. Anything. So he touches on two things regarding prayer. Ask anything. So maybe you're asking for something, right? Like when you, when you pray, what are you asking for? I mean, sometimes we're praying for things like, like that will get us out of a bind. Life is tough, and we need, we need God to come and move. And so we're asking for something to, you know, to, to, for him to help us in some way. Or maybe you're asking him to, to bless you in some way, right? So that's, you know, he's like, ask for anything. And then two, the second thing is, the reason for the answer, right? And he's showing us the reason why I will give you whatever you ask is so that the Father may be glorified. So we've got to ask ourselves, what's the purpose then of all prayer? What's the purpose of anything? So that God will be glorified. When you pray, the purpose of your prayer is that God would be glorified. I mean, from the tiniest little insect that's crawling around here that Daisy's been eating before church today, right? From the tiny little, tiniest little insect to the, to the largest, you know, farthest away planet in our solar system, all of the wonders of this world exist to glorify God. Every single thing. I mean, the central truth of the entire Bible is often missed because we get so focused on the various little things and the, and the, you know, the, the, this rule or that rule or this or that. From Genesis to Revelation, the bottom line is everything exists for the glory of God. I mean, on the drive down here this morning, did any of you notice, I mean, they're, they're starting to fall, the leaves are starting to fall, but man, this year in particular has been incredible with the colors, right? The trees, I've seen so many photos, my guys, Kristen posted 100 photos of the fall, right? And they're beautiful. I mean, I don't know if they're all yours, Kristen, maybe you're maybe retweeting, re, re-instagramming photos. How do you say that? Regramming it? Re-insta? I don't know. Sharing it. There you go. Yeah. See, I'm old. Hey, the gram. That's what Kanye calls it, the gram. So, so why is all that? Why is it? Why is it beautiful? What, what? What's the purpose of that? Right? I mean, I. You know, people. People. People notice it. Why? Why? Why should it be noticed? Because it's for the glory of God. I mean, even though someone might look, you know, look at a picture or post a picture and call it Mother Nature, like it's just something that exists, right? Just out of nowhere, like this just happens, right? You know why it happens? To bring glory to God. That's why. 
It happens to bring, name anything. I mean, think of anything that happens. The sun came The sun came up this morning, even though you didn't see it. The sun came up this morning to bring glory to God. The moon shines really bright at night to bring glory to God. The leaves change color to bring glory to God. The rain falls to bring glory to God. It's all, everything is for God. Actually, say that out loud with me. Ready? Everything is for God. One, two, three. Everything is for God. Today is Sunday, October 25th. God gave us another day for his glory. This whole day, you woke up for God's glory, right? You have a job that you might go to tomorrow or work from home tomorrow. Why? For God's glory. That's why. That is the whole reason he gave you a job, to glorify him. If you have parents, you have them to glorify God, right? To see them. As you, you have them so that you might interact and glorify God in that interaction. If you have children, it's to glorify God. If you have a home, if you have a place to sleep, if you have a car, if you have money, if you have talent, if you have some kind of gift, you know why? You have it all to glorify God. Why? Because everything is for God. Literally, everything is for God. That is the whole meaning of the scripture. God does it for himself. And when, and when we see that and we notice that and we give him the glory that he deserves, more people are able to see him and more people are able to enjoy him and more people put faith in him. And that's why God says, you must glorify me. It's not because he's some narcissist up there who just has to have it. He's not insecure. He does it because he loves you and he loves every person that he created. And he knows that the most loving thing he could possibly do is say, glorify me. Because when you glorify me, people see me. People know me. People hear me. Their hearts are open. Their eyes are open. And they're able to make decisions to follow me. So do you have a problem? Do you have a mountain in your life? You got something that you're trying to climb? You got something challenging you're facing? You know why you have that? To glorify God. See, it's everything. It's not just the, it's not just the, the good stuff. It's the bad stuff. This is why Jesus is saying in his prayer, again, everything is for the glory of God. So if you notice, praying for things in Jesus' name for the glory of God will have a tendency to change the way we pray and change what we pray for. I mean, it's really hard to be selfish in that context, right? I mean, if we're always asking ourselves, is this for the glory of God as we're praying? Or is this primarily for another reason, maybe? Right? I mean, if happiness is your primary goal, like when I ask you, hey, is it okay to seek pleasure? Well, if happiness is your primary goal rather than the glory of God, then even if you do get what you ask for, you actually won't be happy for very long. We never really are. And here's why. Because the reason God created you was to give him glory. He created you for his glory, which means your greatest happiness comes when you give God the glory that he is asking for. Your greatest happiness comes when God receives glory. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that order is really important. He's not saying that if we're happy Christians, then God's going to give us what we want. What he's telling us is that as we enjoy God, as you delight yourself in the Lord, that's when you're th the things that you want begin to change. God transforms your heart, which means your palate changes. The things that you have a taste for change. Your desires then become his desires. That's what it means. So delight, you know, a lot of people read that and it's like, hey, if I just delight myself in God, he'll give me whatever I want. Okay, well, I really kind of want, want a new car. Well, the problem is delighting ourselves in the Lord 
means that our things that we want will start to change. So then when you ask God, you're actually going to be asking for things that God is in agreement with in Jesus' name. So what happens is God takes, he takes his will and he places it in us. That's why our palate, our taste, the things that we want, right? It changes. That desire, the things, the things that, that God used to hate, the things that, or the things that we used to love that, that maybe God hated. Now we change, it, it, as we delight ourselves in the Lord, we start to like the things that God likes and we start to hate the things that God hates. Sin that used to taste good to us and the righteousness that did not, that was kind of distasteful to us, it gets turned around. The more we delight ourselves in God, it gets turned around. And now sin is distasteful to us and the righteousness of Christ is something that actually is very, very attractive to us. Our palate changes. The palate changes for God and for his people. And the reason why is because God changes your heart. You see, we often have this conflict in our lives that is like our desire versus God's will. And, you know, God's desire versus what we desire. Like, you know, what is, you know, it's, it, we, we tend to think that this is a conflict. And it kind of seems like these two things are at odds with each other, right? Like, like if what I, des- I wish what I desire lined up with God's will. And, and if, if they are in conflict, if they don't line up, then that's one of those good tests of life that I talked about a few weeks ago as we were going through 1 John. Uh, you know, just to say, you know, hey, are your desires and God's will actually lining up? But as we enjoy God more than these two wills, what I will and what he desires, they begin to synthesize. And God takes his will and he places it in us so that we actually then get to do exactly what we want to do. That's the thing. We always will, we always will do what, exactly what we want to do. It's just sometimes what we want to do is sin. By nature, what we want to do is sin. So we need our will transformed. And the key is to just delight in God. And then as you delight in God, your, ple- your desires will change. Your desires will be just fine because you're going to desire the things that he desires. The problem is not our desires. The problem is not pleasure. The main issue is always the glory of God. And so Jesus says in the New Testament, you know, we've talked a little bit about some verses in Psalm and Proverbs and Jeremiah and Ecclesiastes, Jesus says in the New Testament, he says what? If you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey my commands. And I think Christians get really concerned over this issue of obedience and over-concerned over with commands and, and obeying. And, and that's what Christianity is about. And we get under-concerned with love. But Jesus says that the reason why you'll obey is because of love. The priority in that statement is loving and enjoying God. And when you love and enjoy God, it's going to change what it is you want to do. And obeying his commands won't really be that big of an issue. Because if you only focus on obedience, it's not going to cause you to be more obedient. Think about this as you, as you parent, right? If you only focus on telling your kids to obey, 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 and they don't know that that obedience comes out of love, or they don't know that there is love there, the reason why they want to obey you is because they love you, and they know that love is part of this. Focusing on Christ and enjoying Christ will cause you to want to be more obedient, Because in that process, as you're delighting in him, your heart changes. St. Augustine put it this way. He said, love God and do whatever you please. Love God and do whatever you please. And you're able to say that to people because if you truly love God, then what you please to do, what pleases you to do, is exactly what God would have you do. God's will and your will have been unified, and there's no longer a division between your will and his will. 
And this is ultimately what brings joy. This is ultimately what causes you to laugh and to eat and to sing and to dance and just enjoy life. Enjoy the life that God has given you. We were created for that purpose. We are created to be imitators of God, to enjoy the life that God has given us, to enjoy all the senses that he has given us in our bodies, to enjoy his creation, to celebrate everything that he has given us, to enjoy everything is for his glory, for his enjoyment. You're created in his image, and so he says you enjoy this life as well. Now the problem is, we knew that there was going to be a problem before we finished this. Sin. <laughs> Sin is always the problem, right? It's a big problem. And we know it's such a huge problem with the human condition that if we tell people just do whatever they want to do, what will they do? Well, they'll rob us and they'll cheat on us and they'll hurt us. So, Chris, you can't just tell people to do whatever and just to enjoy life, right? There's something wrong, very, very wrong with the human condition, our natural state of being, where you can't just tell everyone to just live this way. And the problem is that that throws a huge wrench in the theology of pleasure. Sin throws a huge wrench in the theology of pleasure. Go to Romans chapter 1, real quick. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 explains what happened in the human race. Because of our sinful condition. I'll just read verse 25. Ah, let's read verse 24 too. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies and among themselves. Because, here's why, here's what happened. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Worshipped and, and, and served created things rather than the one who created them. That's what Paul is saying, who is blessed forever, amen. And so Paul is saying, look, the issue here is, is that everyone in the human race was created for something, and that is to worship, to give glory to something, right? We're all created to worship. I mean, whether you, whether you notice that or not, whether you know that, whether you worship God with your life or not, that's why you're created. The difference is what or who we worship. That's always the difference. See, the opposite of Christianity is not atheism. That's, that's not. The opposite of Christianity is idolatry. That's the opposite of what we believe as Christians. Because the truth is, everyone has something or someone they love, including atheists. I mean, even people who claim atheism have something that they love or, or, you know, or serve or whatever, which means that they worship. I mean, they're worshipers. We are all worshipers because that's why we're created. There's something or someone in our heart that our heart is closest to. It's what consumes us. It's what develops us into who we are. It's our character. Whatever or whoever we worship is always going to come out in our character. And that's, that's what Paul is saying is the problem is by nature, this is, this is we, we tend to, to worship created things. We tend to worship, we tend to actually give our lives to these things, which means we give our lives to the pleasure of these things, which means we lose focus of the one who actually gave them to us. Two more scriptures I want to give to you. Second Peter. So we're going to keep turning toward the back of our Bible. Second Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 12 and 14. 12 through 14. Listen to what Peter says here. When you have a new Bible, it's never as easy to find things like, like it. It doesn't, yeah, the pages are like, like, sometimes you go to certain scriptures a lot and like, oh yeah, just flip right to it. Here we go. 
but these. Oh, jeez. Yeah, Second Peter. I was in the wrong one. Here we go. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. And then listen to this. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Their blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adult, adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. So this is, this is the problem with saying that we should seek pleasure, is that the problem is it, 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 because of sin, it gets perverted. 2 Timothy 3, verse 4. says this, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without, see this sounds more like today, right? This, so we, now we're starting to, oh yeah, this, this is familiar territory here. This is where we're at. This is where we live. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of what? Pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So if you love God, do you get to enjoy pleasure? Absolutely. But let me ask you this very important follow-up question. Are you permitted to enjoy pleasure, according to God's word, are you permitted to enjoy pleasure apart from God or instead of God? It appears not. See, there's the rub. There's, there's, there, there's where this comes down. This was where the rubber meets the road. We all find pleasure in different ways. But God has created us to be in him, to love him, to enjoy him. But we, the human race, when I say we, have exchanged the good things of God for foolish pleasures, as Paul says. God saw in us. He saw that in us. He saw our folly. He saw our death that we were seeking after in our sin. And he set out to do something about it. And, the, and there is one reason why the Bible gives for, that the Bible gives for why God set out to do something for us. And that reason is exclusively because it pleased him to do so. It pleased him to do it. God does whatever pleases him. He always gets his way. People may sin and mess things up. You see, that's the thing. It's like, well, the problem with this is there is sin, and so I'm not sure we should seek pleasure. No, that's not it. That's not the answer. The answer isn't staying away from it. The answer is figuring out the right way to seek this. And the right way to seek it is to seek God. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then, yeah, he's going to give you the happiness that he knows that you deserve. He's going to give you the happiness that he knows that you long for, and that only comes through him. People might sin, they might mess things up, but God will ultimately bend his, bend things to work out his way for those who love him and are called according to his good purpose. That's what God does. God does that which, pleads, which pleases him, which includes our salvation and sending Jesus to die for us. That's what, that's what he says in Titus 3, if you're looking for the answer to God, me saying God does whatever pleases him. And the reason why I think we get confused about pleasure when it comes to Christianity is not because is because we, we, we often will think about it backwards. So many people are trapped in pleasure 
and, and enslaved by their passions and lusts. Like the, the first thing that, that, that pleases me, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek that. And so they think that if you stop, if you stop doing these, so okay, what's the answer to that? If I just stop doing these things, you know, then, you know, these bad things, then I'm going to be a good person. So if I stop doing these things, then I'll be holy and pure and acceptable to God. Well, no, God has not saved us according to the righteous things that we're able to do. So that's not really the way it works. The Bible tells us that we have not done anything righteous apart from putting faith in Christ. We have been saved solely and only by what Jesus has done. And it is solely by his work through the Holy Spirit in your life that you are able to have anything righteous happening in your life. Righteousness is nothing more than, you know, if you try to do, to be righteous, the only way that you're ever going to be righteous is this. I'm righteous because of what Jesus has done for me. And now because of the righteousness that he's given me, I am able to live rightly. We can't, I mean, but the problem is we just can't, we can't live backwards. We can't live backwards. What I mean by that is like the old statement, I, you know, I don't, you know, because I don't smoke, smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, then I'm a righteous person. That's not, you know, it's so important to understand this. Because most of us at some point in our lives have probably misunderstood the issue of sin. We tend to think that pleasure is sinful. And so if we just don't enjoy, if we stay away from certain things, then we're holy. That's not the issue. Paul says that we are saved not because of the righteous things you do or because of certain things you haven't done, but solely because of God's mercy on our behalf. That's why you're saved. God the Father took my sin, put it on the Son, Jesus, and crushed him with my sin. And it pleased him to do so. Because in doing so, he would then get to enjoy having a relationship with you, his creation, forever. You see, he is for you. I, I ended that way last week. He is for you in that sense. He wants that relationship with you. I mean, why would God do this? Why would he continue to concern himself with us even after we deny him so many times why would he go through so much trouble why would the son why would christ die in our place why would he forgive us why would he do these wonderful and gracious things to us the book of ephesians tells us why ephesians chapter one says that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through jesus christ why according to the purpose of his will and then down later in that chapter it says again according to his great purpose he just wanted to it just made him happy that's why he did it it was nothing that we have earned. It was nothing that we have merited. It was nothing that we have asked for or did to deserve. It was just because it pleases God. Why does God love you? Just because it pleases him to do so. Why does God reach out to you? Because it pleases him to do so. Why does God save you? Because it pleases him to do so. And when we know that God is pleased, more people are able to see him. You see how that works? That's how it works. That's how it works. So just let me ask you this then as we, as we conclude. Is joy, enjoyment, satisfaction, happiness, pleasure, is it big enough to endure suffering? Like I talked about last week. Some of you, maybe you need to go back and listen to last week too. This is kind of a follow-up to last week. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, is it big enough to endure something like death? Absolutely. I mean, Jesus, I mean, in Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus went to the cross laid down his life, went to the cross. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured it. For the joy that was set before him. It, seems, it sounds kind of weird, right? That, that God could go to the, the cross on my behalf with an attitude of joy. 
Does that mean it was like, it was, it was joy? Like, yeah, yeah, put spikes in my hands. That, that's, that makes me happy. No, it's not that sadistic. But I think in his suffering, he knew the consequence. He knew the result, the outcome, the accomplishment of his suffering. And when he knew that, when he recognized that, it gave him joy because he knew that the, rec the consequence of this is that I'm going to get to spend eternity with the people that I created. You see, too often we tend to think of joy and happiness as something that is separate from trouble, conflict, pain, suffering, trials. We tend to think that it's not possible to have happiness and joy as long as we're having these things over here. That a life that is absent of all of these, trouble, you know, conflict, pain, and all that, that is the only life that can truly be happy or joyful. And if that's the case, then we've probably all been really, really struggling over the past several months. But every now and then you come across somebody who's walking in the same kind of thing you are, and it's like, man, there's something different about that attitude. There's something like, there's joy. You seem to be happier now than ever. What's going on? It's abundant life in Christ. Abundant life in Christ gives you freedom from all that suffering and all that pain and all that trial and allows you to recognize I am reconciled to God. I'm glorifying God in this suffering and that causes me to enjoy life, that he, the life that he's given me, the life that I'm able to have. Even if there is pain in it, I'm gonna enjoy it because as it glorifies God, other people are gonna see it as well. You see, a right understanding of freedom and enjoyment can really, like anything, get you into trouble. If it's taken too far into abuse, into sin, then it can lead you back out of freedom again and, and back into the kinds of pleasure that is sinful. And so what typically happens among people who want to be religious, I don't necessarily want to be religious, I just want to have a relationship with God, is, is this, but religion does this. God gives freedom, God gives joy, God gives liberty, right? And then someone abuses it and sins. And so what does the religious person do? The religious person says, well, we can't have that happening, so we need some rules. And, you know, and, and the rules then become, they're not Bible rules, because the Bible has some too. But their rules are stupid. So you have stupid rules. There are Bible rules and there are stupid rules. And Bible rules are great, because Bible rules keep us from sinning. But stupid rules, which I mean are human rules, religious rules, they don't keep you, they, people make them to try to keep from sinning, but they never work. They never work. So the ultimate question is this. If God has made us free and we are free, what is then to keep you from sinning? See, I mean, that's, what, that's why some people like, that's why, you know, I, I started my ministry in youth ministry. And man, to stand before kids and say this, that's a risky thing, right? Because I mean, whenever you would say that before kids and say this, they'd be like, whoa, careful now, because now they're just going to do whatever they want. Well, no, because what happens is, what is it that you enjoy most? If you enjoy God, then your desires and the things that you want for pleasure are going to be mesh with what God desires. The Bible rule is love God and enjoy him forever. Love God and do whatever you want, as Augustine says. Rules will never do what love and grace and the kindness of God can accomplish in your life. They just won't. So be imitators of Christ. The issue is always Christ. Rules and more rules will never keep you from sin. They only keep you from enjoying life. But love for Christ is the only thing will, that will ever to allow you to do to be free from sin for good and enjoy him forever. Jesus understood this. Jesus understood this. I'm going to grab it. Is that, is that all set, Ben? Yep. Cool. Thank you very much. I mean, Jesus is always our perfect example for this. He was pure. 
When he was tempted, yeah, he was tempted. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. So it's not possible to never be tempted. You've got to understand that, right? Too many Christians t um, try to stay away from temptation. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's not like you shouldn't lead yourself into temptation. But I think we assume that temptation in and of itself is impure. And that's just like, I mean, Jesus was tempted. Temptation is not impure. You know, you know, what things were to Jesus were pure? I mean, think about, like, if you think about G the teachings of Jesus, for example, what things did Jesus teach about? Like, 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 hey, Jesus was pure and he taught us to be pure. So what did he teach about? Like, did Jesus preach, like, what, what kinds of things did he preach against? Like, did he preach against alcohol and food and, and humor and parties and sports and recreational activities, hanging out with people who have bad reputations? Like, is that, did you, actually, <laughs> no. In fact, he, he didn't preach against those things. You see, everything, I don't recall much of that from Jesus. He wasn't focused on that, but here's the thing. He was focused on you, on who you are. Everything is pure if you are pure. And that's why Jesus could hang out with people with bad reputations. And other people looked upon him who weren't as pure at heart and said, oh, he must be a sinner. He was not. He absolutely was not. Jesus knew how to enjoy life. He knew how to enjoy all the things of life and remain pure. And this even got him into trouble with those who viewed holiness by what you do or can't do or should do or shouldn't do. But to everyone else who loved him, I think Jesus was actually a really enjoyable person. I think he was someone that people really wanted to hang out with. And so here's the thing. Love God and enjoy your life. The highest compliment that you can give to God, that you can pay to God today, is that you enjoy him and you enjoy the life that he has given you. And the best way to keep from sinning is to enjoy God. So just enjoy him. You want to keep from sinning? Enjoy him. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's pray. God, today, may we go out from here with a desire to just love you, love the things that you have given to us to enjoy, love the creation around us, love the people, love the children that you've given us, the parents you've given us, love the friends that you've given us, the, the recreational activities you've given us, the, the, the opportunities, the jobs, whatever it is, Lord, and even the, even the suffering and the difficult things. May we go out from here and recognize that joy and enjoyment of everything can actually happen when we recognize that that is why you gave it to us. That you are a God who seeks your own glory. You are a God who seeks your own pleasure. And the reason why is because it's the most loving thing you could do for us. And so may we go out from here, Lord, with a song in our heart of how awesome you are and how faithful you are and how, how incredible you are to give us all of these wonderful, beautiful things to enjoy. And Lord, may we not be afraid to just ask you to come to you in prayer, to ask you for things. Jesus said, ask for whatever it is that you, that you desire and it'll be given. Lord, may we know that when we're seeking first you and your kingdom, that what we ask for will be lined up with what it is that Jesus would have us ask for. And therefore, we can pray confidently in his name. So God, help us with this today. Help us to take the theology of this and make it real in our lives today in 2020. That's what we always need during this kind of a time as we, as we pause for a moment after reading and listening to the scriptures and after we listen to the teaching of the scriptures. May we know how 
to make this real in our lives individually and personally. And I pray for that to happen through your Holy Spirit right now as we, as we respond in singing and as, respond with, as we respond in taking communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.